Excuse me, man. What do you do for a living? Welcome to Arnie Geddon. I'm Cam Smith. And I'm Tony G. And we are here this week with 1979's The Villain, the movie you've all been waiting for. Also known as Cactus Jack in the UK and Australia. <laughs> now, Tony, this is the first comedy that we are uh, reviewing on this show. Yep, and... Um, Maybe the last. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, possibly, possibly, but we'll get, we'll get into it. It's also Arnold's first comedy that I know of. Did uh, he ever. know he was in a comedy? I'm not sure. I'm not sure if the writers knew they were writing a comedy. Well, why don't you just sum up? What is the villain about, Tony? That's probably the easiest summary of a movie I think you've ever given me, Cameron. The villain is about uh, Kirk Douglas, who engages in a series of slapstick uh, misadventures to try to steal money from uh, traveling Arnold Schwarzenegger and Anne Margaret. And that's about it. He does this over and over and over again. The back of the DVD cover said that it was a homage to Looney Tunes and Western films. Yes. <clears throat> that would probably be accurate, uh, except it's not really as good as either. Yeah, that's the curious thing. So do you want to start from the Western angle or the uh, Looney Tunes angle first? <laughs> Um, why don't you, why don't you take us away? Okay, well, this movie, you know, has all the looks of a classic Western. It's shot in Monument Valley, which John Ford shot a lot of the greatest Westerns of all time, including one of my favorites, The Searchers. So it has the look down pat. Um, it has a star, Kirk Douglas, who was in, if not some of the best Westerns, some really good ones, like Gunfight at the OK Corral, or, um, also he did a fun John Wayne one called The War Wagon. Yeah, and it's got uh, a supporting cast that have a pretty good pedigree as far as westerns go, with Struther Martin and Robert Tessier. Yeah, but yeah. Uh, it's unlike any western I've ever seen. Yeah, it's a really bad one. And if this movie had transpired in the fifties, sort of maybe around the time like John Wayne did, like McClintock, I feel like I would be a lot nicer to this movie. But this movie happened in nineteen seventy nine. This is a time when, like, if we're talking about the Western, yeah, the John Wayne era has kind of come to a close in the mid-70s. But, I mean, there's a lot of good stuff. You know, you had the Sergio Leone Spaghetti Westerns in the 60s. You have, like, sort of the revisionist stuff that Clint Eastwood is going to be overseeing in the very near future. Does this movie feel like a weird nod to a time that is long past? No. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) It didn't... To be honest, it felt like um, it felt a little bit like a, a band that was okay doing a reunion tour that's not very good. Yeah, um, like uh, which I guess would be a nod to the past. It felt more like Kirk Douglas that maybe had some bills to pay or something like that. When you think though, in 1979, if you're gonna make like a western sort of comedy, wouldn't you base it more on the westerns that are popular at the time? Well, when I don't know. I mean, when was Blazing Saddles? What year was that? 1969. Yeah, so this is 10 years after Blazing Saddles. (laughs) This is 10 years. So let's get to the comedy part, because this is 1979, 10 years after Blazing Saddles. Is this movie as good as Blazing Saddles? 
No, no, this this movie isn't as good as the trailer for Blazing Saddles. Yeah, actually, I think Blazing Saddles was early seventies. I think Producers was like sixty nine, sixty eight, mm. and that kind of yeah. And then he did Blazing Saddles after that. But yeah, this movie is kind of an embarrassing uh, <laughs> follow up to Blazing Saddles. Yeah, well, I mean, we shouldn't be too harsh on it right out of the gate. We should okay. we should try and give it a chance. What redeeming qualities? <laughs> Does this movie have, Cameron? I will say that it has the commitment of the actors. Not so much Schwarzenegger, who I think is sort of floundering a bit in this one. Um, I think there's a reason we would never really see him in another movie like this again. But I think, like, Kirk Douglas, at this point in his career, Kirk Douglas did not need to make movies like this. No, he could have done anything. Anything. I mean, just like the year earlier, he'd done The Fury with Brian De Palma, which is a really good movie. Yeah, he was a bona fide star at this point. Yes. So why is Kirk Douglas in this movie? I don't know. But he's committed. Like, he is looking ridiculous. Yeah, I actually thought that um, he did. He he really did, I thought, the best he could with some pretty uh, pretty weak material. Did he have material at all? How much of this movie do you think was just made up day to day? Well, I mean, the entire, I mean, the movie, the script was just pulled off of essentially a Wile E. Coyote uh, cartoon. Yeah, I mean, he even dresses up as a coyote at one point. That's true. (laughs) 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 I was going to mention that. Uh, A little on the nose, but... Yeah, it's just really interesting to me that, like, he signed on to this movie because, I mean, if this was all written down, he is essentially looking at a script that repeats every two pages. (laughs) Like, Cactus Jack sets up a trap and is foiled. And, you know, a boulder falls on him or whatever. Yeah, someone gets Cactus Jack's name wrong and he gets a little bit annoyed. Cut to, like, Native Americans watching, like, just blank-faced. Yeah, oh, I mean, I know we're probably we're probably all over the place in, the, in this episode, but I think... So is the movie. Yeah, so, well, no, the movie was in one place. <laughs> <laughs> it just wasn't a very good place. Uh, the Native Americans or Natives or Aboriginals. Uh, I don't think I've ever seen a more <laughs> offensive portrayal of uh, Natives in uh, in film. It was... Uh, this might be more offensive than the really old westerns that it's spoofing. Well, I think it absolutely was. Yeah. One, because the, the two... Maine, the chief and his buddy, are both played by white guys. Yeah, Paul it, Lind, in his final screen role... Was this his final role? Yeah, plays oh. nervous <laughs> nervous elk. He, he was the, the center square from Hollywood Squares, <laughs> playing a barely closeted uh, chief. And, I mean... <laughs> It was. I mean, and they, I think they were actually wearing the whatever whatever the native equivalent of blackface is. Yeah. Um, I kind of, I will say, kind of appreciated that they played it so straight and boring. Like, there was no attempt to kind of, like, whoop it up or whatever. It was just, like, the two of them just being so deadpan. Like, they didn't even try to even, you know, be like the sort of the uh, Native Americans, you know, of, of yore. Are you, film. Are, are you kidding me? Deadpan? They, I mean, it seemed like... Uh, I, I mean, the punchlines were dead. Yeah. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> On delivery. But there's a difference between deadpan and dead jokes. True. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, the, the chief was dressed in garish oh. jewelry. There was references to, let's go string some beads. Yeah. Um, the... 
the joke where they couldn't leave Indian country. <laughs> county. Yeah, sorry, Indian <laughs> county. <laughs> Which, and, I, I, and I'm not joking here, Indian county was one of the best jokes in the movie. Well, and there was a sign, too, just as a punctuation. Yeah. Which it, made it all the better. Uh, we're, I think that was Schwarzenegger's line. Uh, we're, we better be careful. We're entering Indian country. And Margaret, you mean Indian county. <laughs> and that's the joke. And it was the one of the best jokes in the movie because it was one of the shortest. It's the, true. There is, getting back to Paul Lind, there is a scene where he's talking about um, his distrust of white women. And I didn't even understand the joke at a certain point. It was just as like complaining about them always having one bullet, and I didn't really understand what that meant. I was trying to figure out what that was a euphemism for, and then I still couldn't. <laughs> yeah, I mean, uh, there's a bunch of parts of this film I'm still trying to really puzzle out, and I, 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 <laughs> it, it, it's almost unsettlingly not funny. <laughs> it's true. Uh, the, you know, I mean, either that or it's. It's really funny, and I have one of the worst senses of humor ever. But, um, I mean, sticking with Paul Lind and the uh, progressive portrayal of (laughs) (laughs) the people of the plains, I thought it was particularly offensive that they they portrayed the band as not only led by two white guys with a tan, but also as being uh, totally incompetent. Yes. Where uh, Cactus Jack, the villain himself... Equally incompetent. Equally incompetent. But there's only one of him. Mm-hmm. Where he enlists the assistance yeah. of of these guys. As soon as they charge, they all crash into each other and fall on the ground. Yeah. And beat a hasty retreat without even getting close yeah. to Arnold and Anne Margaret. I thought, okay, they're... You know the the incompetent savage trope was a little bit uh, a little bit hard to take. I know it was twenty five years ago, or sorry, thirty five years ago. Yeah. Um, but I think the one thing that made it a little less offensive to me was that everyone is pretty much bumbling in this movie. Um, all of the main characters, with I think the exception of Anne Margaret, I think she's the smartest character in the movie. But she's not. I mean, she's not, not that bright either. But she seems to be the only one. Who isn't completely like unaware of the situation they're in? Really, she seemed pretty oblivious. I shouldn't to say, me. yeah, unaware of him. I mean, in, in terms of like when, it, like, there's a scene where Kirk Douglas, his character, poses as a reverend, and he's duping Arnold Schwarzenegger's character, who is escorting Anne Margaret, and um, Anne Margaret visibly realizes it's a con. I think. Did you just infer that? No, I think if you read the expressions on her face, she's aware that he, Arnold Schwarzenegger is being conned. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to get too puerile here, but no. uh, she didn't really do anything in this movie except, uh, you know... Try to seduce Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah, maybe jiggle a little bit here, bend yeah. over a little bit there. And yeah. um, and other than that, I mean, I don't think she was nominated for an Academy Award for this role. No, and the sad part is, like, the 70s were actually really good for Anne Margaret. 1973, she does Carnal Knowledge with Jack Nicholson. She gets nominated for an Oscar for that. And then she does uh, Tommy, the the Who musical, in, the in I think, 77. Also gets nominated for an Oscar for that. Then closes out the decade with the villain. Yeah, and, and along the way, I think, you know, what else has she done? She did Bye Bye Birdie. Yeah. Um, Viva Las Vegas. 
<laughs> Viva Las Vegas, that's yeah. right. State Pro- Fair. Probably the best of the Elvis movies. Yeah, sure. <laughs> um, but she's picked up some, I think she's picked up some Golden Globes along the way. And uh, yeah. no, no Oscars, but a couple nominations. Huge icon. Yeah. I mean, in this decade, she's also doing like the uh, the Train Robbers with John Wayne, which is one of his last Westerns, which is also pretty schlocky. Mm-hmm. Uh, very much kind of trying to survive on sort of the dying out of the old Western. And uh, not really succeeding, but and I guess this, I guess Anne Margaret was kind of your go-to at this point. If you're like, let's, we want to make a throwback western, get Anne Margaret. I'm not really sure. I'm not really sure either. I, I, I you kind of get this. Uh, I just get the impression for a lot of the people in this movie, um, maybe they knew each other. Some you get the impression that some somewhere in some uh, some dinner party, yeah, some pitch man was saying to Anne margaret kirk's on board struther martin's on board robert tessier's on board yeah we need you man <laughs> well this movie was also directed by hal needham who was a legendary stuntman um one of the the all-time greats and he moved into directing in 77 and his first movie was smoky and the bandit i did catch the little bur- there was a, a, a you know seven the 70s are a tough time for easter eggs but there is a little burt reynolds uh, face painted on one of the barns in the movie. Yeah, yeah. Um, so you know he does Smokey and the Bandit. It's one of the highest grossing movies of the of its year, and then he follows it up with uh, Hooper, another um, uh, Burt Reynolds movie that's a big hit. Then he puts out this. And the interesting thing is, like, you can view the box office for his previous movies. There is no box office for the villain uh, available online, which leads me to believe it was dumped. Because he follows up this movie with uh, Smokey and the Bandit 2 the next year, and then Cannibal Run in 80. So I'm thinking, like, uh, this movie may have just been buried. Well, because it, it's it's funny, right? Because I'm a big Arnold fan. Yeah. And I'm a big Western fan. Yeah. And until until I spoke to you about what movie we were going to do next on this show, yeah. I had never heard of this movie. No, no. Maybe because it also has two titles that could lead to the confusion. But so, so does Hercules. Uh, Hercules in New York. True. Uh, and I've heard of that and have seen that. Right. But I don't know. I was going to say, but Cactus Jack isn't as good. <laughs> we're we're going to get to Hercules on a later podcast. So let's. We need to talk about Arnold as no, the focus pr- of this whole show for for all you listeners that are remaining. <laughs> uh, about as Cameron Smith and Tony G talk about Kurt Douglas in a mediocre western on an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. Guess what? We've got something for you. <laughs> so for Arnie, this it lands sort of uh, just in post um, Pumping Iron which really established him as a cinematic presence in a lot of ways and got him jobs. Um, You see, the thing is, like, since it's directed by Hal Needham, and at this point, too, it's easy to forget, but these sort of good old boy comedies became huge around the time of Smokey and the Bandit. You had, like, the uh, Every Which Way But Loose movies and all these horrible, horrible comedies. So I'm sure signing on to this movie, in theory, might have sounded like a good idea. For Arnold? I think for anyone. But for Arnold especially, I mean, Arnold, of, of all the people on this movie, was probably the least well-known at the time. Yeah, for sure. So for him, he might have viewed this as, like, this was going to be a huge career move. Well, I guess it probably was. He probably, <laughs> probably made Yeah, he's opposite Kirk Douglas and Margaret. 
in a in a comedy from the director of Smokey and the Bandit? I mean, I'm sure in his early years, he you know, before he got Conan, he probably typed that on a resume. Yeah, for sure. What do you think of Arnold's performance in this movie? Really bad. <laughs> uh, and I didn't think it was possible for me to dislike an Arnold Schwarzenegger performance, but he doesn't he doesn't do anything and what he no. does do is um it's like a parody of future Arnold Schwarzenegger performances. You really get to see how far he came in his acting. Yeah. By comparing this movie to later movies. You you get the impression that not only does his character not understand that what's going on, but that Arnold as an actor doesn't really understand what's happening. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, he would come a long way in the like 6 years between this and Terminator 1. Oh yes. Yeah, because he it's the other thing about Arnold is, you know, he looks confused, he's not giving a good performance. Not only that, he doesn't really have much presence in this movie. Like, I was kind of shocked, you know, the Arnold we all know and love is there. He's walking around, you know, he's wearing what looks like a male stripper cowboy outfit. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Which is true. It wasn't a onesie or was it a two-piece? I couldn't tell. I like to think onesie. It had a lot of uh, bows and stuff on it. It was very tight. But, um, and it's baby blue, too. (laughs) But the thing is, it's like, you know, physically he has the presence, but... The Arnold Schwarzenegger charisma is just not there. No, no, it's uh, it's probably the the least charismatic I've ever seen him. Maybe maybe the Iceman or Doctor Freeze rather. I, I think I'll take Mister Freeze over over this character. Really? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Maybe. Anyways, it's it really does rank amongst the bottom of his performances. Yeah, I agree, and. You know, there's scenes where Anne Margaret is trying to seduce his character around a campfire. And, you know, Arnold's playing a character who's sort of like the total, like, male bimbo. The himbo, if you will. Well, his name is a Handsome Stranger. Right, right. They're really on the nose with all the names in this movie. Mm-hmm. But, um, you know, the comedy should come from him being blank. Uh, now, he's definitely playing blank. But I think he's maybe just too subdued. Like, I think you need to be a little, act a little bigger in this role, don't you? It just seemed weirdly grounded when everyone around him is not necessarily cartoonish, but having, like, a lot more fun. Yeah, and I don't know, I mean, I don't know what you thought. I actually thought, because he's predominantly acting alongside Anne Margaret in this movie. Yeah. Um, I kind of got the impression when she, with her role... I always had this vision in my head of her kind of being in her trailer yeah. on on the set, talking to her agent, being a, I, I can't believe you put me on the same screen <laughs> as this barely verbal Austrian clown. <laughs> you know, his lines are so wooden and delivered yeah. so poorly in a lot of cases. Mind you, I mean, a lot of the scenes were not at all interesting which is right challenging there's there's one scene in particular where he he meets the uh the telegram man yeah in, played by mel ellis yeah who did the songs yeah. in this in this movie all the exposition songs yeah yeah he, he's mel ellis very well-known country star so you can kind of forgive him mm-hmm. for playing uh aggravatingly on the nose boring yeah telegram man in a western movie yeah and but all of Arnold's responses were uh, just 
Maybe I mean maybe he didn't have anything to wor- work with. He... <laughs> I don't think he did. It's one of those movies where you're really watching watching actors flounder. Mm-hmm. You know, and I think with Kirk Douglas and Margaret, they're pros. You know, like they know how to escape without embarrassment. I mean, Kirk Douglas should have. I mean, my God, this is like a nightmare on your resume if you're Kirk Douglas. But he somehow escapes more or less unscathed, which is. A Herculean feat, given his last scene in the movie. <laughs> or, uh, by last scene, do you mean every scene? <laughs> <laughs> but Arnold Schwarzenegger is still untrained. He doesn't have the command of the screen yet. And so to watch him just die on screen is kind of tough to watch. It is. Especially, you know, especially this this early Arnold. You'd think that, um, I mean, the reason he was hired for most of his early roles was because he was... A gigantic beast of a man who yeah. could, you know, who who could convincingly in an age before digital effects, uh, push over a stone pillar or rip chains in half or lift up a car, and he really didn't have any of. <laughs> well, he didn't have anything to do. He didn't have any of his, you know, feats of strength or convincing uh, stuff where he had to do tough guy stuff. He just kind of walked around like a. Like a ponce. Looking kind of stunned. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, I mean, what do you think Arnold's career would have been like had this movie been a Smokey and the Bandit smash? Um, would we have gotten The Terminator? Would we have gotten that's Predator? A, any of these great movies? That's a rhetorical question so far <laughs> beyond the possibilities <laughs> of mine that it would be hard... I mean, remember, Every Which Way But Loose was a massive, massive hit. And so is the sequel, Any Which Way You Can. Those movies, I would say, are not infinitely worse than this movie. No, I mean, uh, you know, and it's, I guess that's the thing. Is it's always it's always easier to do talks about bad movies than, yeah. than good ones. Because um, making relentless fun of a really bad movie is kind, yeah. of, kind of fun in itself. Sure. Uh, but, I mean, there were... Were there any scenes with Arnold that you kind of walked away? Because this was a movie neither of us had seen. You can kind of ignore the larger whole, but you walked away going, you know what, like that was kind of memorable. And I'll remember that in my sort of Arnold Schwarzenegger arsenal going forward. No. <laughs> in, in fact, um, I think as we were watching it, yeah. uh, I mean, one thing we try to do, both Cameron and I, while we're watching the movie, we make make notes so we have talking points for the podcast we yeah. we generally go off those and uh one of the things i'm always on the lookout for is you know as you probably know the start of our show we generally try and incorporate a line from the film into our uh catchy intro song good job on the composition thank on that. you thank you yeah. uh and uh and this one i mean i picked it i said that should be the intro line yeah and that was I mean, we watched that movie. That was probably an hour ago. And I can't remember what Arnold's most memorable line in the movie was. I think it was about horses. Being really tired, yeah. Oh, yeah, that's right. The horses are really tired. Yeah. (laughs) It wasn't exactly a home run for him. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Like, I think for me, what I take for Arnold, uh, well, takeaway in regards to Arnold, is just him in the outfit. Like, I feel like that's all there is, just the visual of him in the outfit, which, I mean, I guess, you know, props to them in the 70s for, like, sexualizing him as much as they did Anne Margaret, because it tended to be in older movies, they would just sexualize the, the female character. Mm-hmm. Arnold is just as much as her. 
Um, but it's he looks so ridiculous in that outfit that I'll take that. And I will also take... There is an amazing sequence in this movie that um, I feel like deserves study. And it is a scene where Arnold Schwarzenegger has just met Anne-Margaret. And he's kind of telling her about his past. And this incident with a runaway stagecoach. <laughs> and it turns into basically footage of this stagecoach rescue that Arnold took part in with voiceover from him. That... It is almost hallucinatory in how bizarre it is. I will I will give you that. It is I you know, I again I had forgotten about it. <laughs> but now that you mention it, that um that was uh probably the most I mean it was the most interesting part he had in the movie where where he's giving this monologue. Yeah. But it just goes it goes on and on needlessly like yeah. You feel like what they maybe did was film the scene, right? And then say, "Okay, we need this. We need this monologue to be exactly the length of the scene." Yeah. So Arnold just talk in English. Yeah. About uh, about this scene uh, as it happens, and it's just him saying, "There was some runaway horses, and then I chased them, and they were in the street. I was really worried." And I chased them some more, and they just kept running, and then they ran some more, and um, and it does it really does go on and on like that until uh, like like a lot of the scenes in this movie, a lot of the scenes in this movie were um, and uh, were long lead ups to bad punchlines. If there was a punchline, mm-hmm. I mean, the punchline of this scene is that. It turns out that the horses he's trying Spoiler to Spoiler alert. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert. For those of you who have Cactus Jack keyed up on your Blu-ray player, watch out. Cameron's about to ruin. A... So it, it turns out that these horses he's trying to stop are actually a fire engine that's trying to put out a burning brothel. Yeah. That's the joke. Was it? And then don't forget there was the follow-up joke where Arnold turns to the woman who's watching it burn... And she's and says, "What do you do for a living?" <laughs> and the woman turns as if the next line's going to be funny. End scene. Yeah, yeah. And there's a lot of scenes like that that just the gas just like goes out of the scene. Like you are just left with actors standing there. There was at one point in the movie, Kirk Douglas is uh, one of his you know stunts had gone awry, as they all did, and um, he just is like staring at the camera kind of kicking his feet and it goes on for like maybe six seven seconds it feels like eternity though speaking of kirk douglas's feet Mm. one of the things that i noticed fairly early on in this movie and then just drove me drove me insane is um, i mean the most of the movie is just uh a one-man slapstick comedy for kirk douglas yes right and Not a star known for slapstick comedy at this point in time. No, so it, but it's just him without dialogue on yeah. the screen a lot of the time. Yeah, and he has to do a lot of running around back and forth as he dodges boulders and sets up trip lines and tries to put glue on train tracks yeah. and that kind of thing. And whoever was doing the sound in this movie decided that because he was wearing spurs, <laughs> every time he moved his feet, there'd be the sound. Of a jingling bell, or at least a jingling spur, right? That you feel like in the Hollywood soundstage. They were like, "What sounds like a spur?" Well, we've got 
this bell. Yeah, and it was really obnoxious. Like, it didn't really bother me until you pointed out, and then it was all I could hear in every one of his scenes was just this. And there's a scene um, at one point near the end of the film where he's running in fast motion, and it's like they speed up the spurs. It's just like, oh my god. Ding, 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 ding. And imagine that for 89 minutes. So let's talk a little more about Kirk Douglas, because... Huge star turned by him. <laughs> Sorry, I'm starting to laugh already. Um, but um, which I didn't do during the movie. But um, his character is the wily e. coyote. He has all these, you know, big, like um, outlandish scenes where he sets up traps that fail. Um, that is the movie. That is the movie's structure. He just does this over and over and over for about seventy minutes, and there's about five minutes of business on each end of that. Um, now, I'm just curious, you know, what do you think were the most, I don't know if I want to say effective, but the most memorable of his uh, his trap sequences? Well, you know, it's funny, because actually early on in the movie, I, I had, I didn't think it was going to be a good movie. Yeah. But there's a couple slapstick moments where he's trying to jump on a train and he yeah. jumps off a cliff and just falls onto the tracks and misses. Yeah. And I won't say, you know, I, I doubled over crying with laughter. Oh, no, you did. But, <laughs> well, I wasn't going to say it. Yeah. But um, I thought, oh, maybe this movie will be kind of funny and have some funny 70s slapstick stuff in it. And then you, you just kind of realize that it's a lot of the same. Yeah. And the problem is, too, like, in a cartoon, you don't have to follow, you know, like, um, human physics. The physics of the real world. This movie mostly kind of does. Uh, a couple times it stretches. But it always feels weird when it does. And it also doesn't feel like it's shot in a way that is cartoonish. Like you compare it to like a movie like Shoot 'em Up. Which was kind of doing the same thing. With like Clive Owen sort of as like a Bugs Bunny character. That's not the line I would have drawn to. Uh, I mean, I'm Really? All... I mean they're both trying to do I live action it. Looney Tunes. Different type of genres. This one is more overtly like comic, but I feel like Shoot 'em Up was smart in that it understood you had to keep the energy and the ridiculousness happening consistently. Whereas this movie has like long stretches where, I mean, yeah, the Anne Margaret Arnold Schwarzenegger stuff is goofy, but it's not like wacky, you know, nonsense. And then you cut to like Kirk Douglas getting run over by a boulder. It feels really weird. Several times. Several times, yeah. The same boulder. And there is a scene. Where he even does the famous paint a, a, a like a cave entrance on a giant rock, and then Arnold Schwarzenegger and Margaret's carriage actually goes. Spoiler alert! <laughs> Spoiler alert! <laughs> don't listen to Cameron or watch a Looney Tune cartoon if you don't want to know what happens next. Go ahead. So their carriage, true to cartoon form, actually goes through this hole in the rock. I mean, they have supernatural powers in this moment. Then what does Kirk Douglas do? He tries to run into this hole and then, of course, smacks right off the rock. And what we are watching is not a cartoon character, you know, just like flatten himself on a rock. We're watching Kirk Douglas run at a rock a little hesitantly because he knows he's going to hit. And then like do like a, a really phony like smack off the rock and fall backwards. Mm -hmm. And it's so unconvincing and just awful. Like, it's not funny. Um, I thought it was funny because at that point in the movie I was actually watching you. Right. Um... I've never seen you look more disgusted at a <laughs> at a joke in a film. I mean, the previous attempts he has, 
you know, it's like things like rolling a boulder down a hill or whatever, um, swinging off a rope. Um, there are things that are like ridiculously that he's able to do them and always winds up ahead of them on the trail. But, um, <laughs> you know, it, it, that in itself is ridiculous. But Arnold Schwarzenegger and Anna Margaret aren't doing things that are outlandishly absurd. They're just continuing on down the road, right? They are suddenly driving through solid rock in this moment. That's right, which I guess a roadrunner yeah. would have done. Um, I did I did find that one gag funny where both Cactus Jack and Cactus Jack's horse are hiding behind a cactus. That might be my favorite moment in the entire movie. And yeah. the props to that horse, uh, the horse is named Whiskey, and it was played by a horse named Ott. Well, that was, it was Black, Black Beauty. Was it really? Yeah. Oh, wow. I did. There you go. There Trivia. You go. It was, uh, you know, little known fact about Ott. Yeah. Yes, it was one of the, one of the hardest working horses in show business in the seventies and eighties. <laughs> it was in a number of films: Escape from Witch Mountain and Black Beauty. Being, what about Black Stallion? Uh, was that a different horse? So okay, so <laughs> so Ott is you know this uh, this workhorse horse. <laughs> My question to you is. Does the horse give a better performance than Arnold Schwarzenegger? I think he does. Yes, because <laughs> this movie, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it, but that's that's depressing. I think this movie gives more of the heavy lifting to the horse than Arnold Schwarzenegger. This horse has to sell a lot of the comedic beats in the scenes, and and maybe that's what jumps out in this film is that pretty much everybody in the movie. Uh, or almost everyone in the movie, the main actors, the supporting actors, they have a weak script. The the direction of this movie is not the best. Yeah. But they're all pros. Right. And including the horse. including the horse. <laughs> <laughs> and Arnold, should we be doing a podcast on that horse? <laughs> well, uh, I'm pretty sure our listenership would. Drop to single digits. They're saying nay. <laughs> oh my lord! With jokes like that, you could write the sequel to Cactus Jack. I would be down for that. I really would. Yeah, I mean that horse. There are so many scenes where they will just cut. Are we really gonna talk about the horse <laughs> yes. for much longer? There are several scenes where they just <laughs> cut to close-ups of this horse just, like, curling its lip or just staring blankly at the camera. And, I mean, I remember... No, I, th- I think you're talking about Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> <laughs> but it, it really made me think about an old saying about... Um, there's I can't remember if it was a famous director or actor, but he said, you never want to share a scene with a horse or, like, an animal. No, it's a kid or an animal. Horses are animals. So I think the question comes down to, like, was it a mistake <laughs> for Kirk Douglas and all these actors to be doing scenes with this horse? Like, are, is everyone in this movie upstaged by the horse? I don't think so. I, I think it was a mistake for Anne Margaret to be doing scenes with Arnold Schwarzenegger. Oh, and that was the other thing, actually. Another part of that saying was they said, it was a horse, a child, or a plunging neckline. And, I mean, Arnold's acting opposite Anne Margaret... Doesn't get more plunged than that. No, it does not. And then you got Kirk with the horse. Like, I feel like Anne Margaret and the horse walk out as the uh, sort of the um, 
the two characters you remember in this movie. Which is weird because, like, the Kirk Douglas one is, like, supposed to be the star, you know, the, the Wile E. Coyote that we all know and love. But his character doesn't really have any charisma. Well, there is no real character development in this movie. No. At all, right? I mean, they establish Cactus Jack as a bad guy. Yeah. From And, and he has no other backstory. No, he's a cartoon villain who even has, like, a book that teaches him how to be a bad guy. That's right. Yeah. And then... You know, Arnold's character is named Handsome Stranger, and his first scene is helping a lady across a busy street. Yeah. Uh, Which is also a, a mainstay of Looney Tunes, too. You know, Anne Margaret is... What was her name? Charity Jones? Charming Jones. Charming Jones. And her father's name is Parody? Like, really on the nose there, Hal Needham. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so Charming Jones, yeah. you know, her character is basically... Uh, every male character in the show from the outset she wanted to sleep with. Right. I think to me the most far-fetched moment or, or thing I'm supposed to believe in this entire film is that a woman at Anne Margaret's age in the Wild West would be single. That looked like Anne Margaret. Well, I don't, I don't know what men in the Old West really went for. Right. Very true, I suppose. But, um, I don't know. I'm, pr I'm pretty sure we can think of more inaccuracies. Well, yeah, for sure. Um, but getting back to Kirk Douglas's famous stunts here in this, I want to talk about that one with the train, because I think that is a moment that uh, deserves to be highlighted, which is the famous glue on the, uh, the, the bridge over the overpass or whatever, the train tracks, where he pours the glue. Of course, the, the wagon goes right over, and then he gets on and his boots get stuck. And then what happens? Well, I don't want to. You're the you're the spoiler. spoiler yeah, yeah. You're, the, you're the guy who has ruined Cactus Jack sure. for fives of people. <laughs> so then a train comes barreling through and carries him away on the front of the train. Now this is a moment that like should be really great, but it feels weird and like awkward. Did you not find that? Well, at that point, I didn't find it any weirder or any more yeah. awkward than. The rest of the movie, I, I mean, there was a lot of kind of, uh, I don't want to say vaudeville, but just, uh, you know, a brow so low you're wearing sandals for a hat. Right. Uh, kind of jokes where, you know, where he gets accidentally hooked onto a stagecoach and he loses his pants. Right. <laughs> but his suspenders are still on his shoulders. Right. And then he gets elastic banded back into his pants i think that might have been my favorite one and it was sadly very early on <laughs> you know so i mean there was a lot of those kind of jokes and there was a lot of um you know the obviously fake boulder that was obviously the same boulder in yeah. the multiple boulder stunts also used in the original star trek series in 1966 <laughs> but it was painted orange there <laughs> I mean, yeah, the train joke was awkward, and it was awkward because <laughs> you knew what the joke was going to be Yeah. Uh, at that point in the movie, way before. You knew he was going to go out there, he was going to step on the glue, and the glue was going to glue his boots down, and because it was on a train track, you knew a train was going to come. Right. I think they actually established the train was coming before he even poured the glue on the tracks. I don't think they did. Maybe they, maybe there was a whistle, but I didn't really notice it. I didn't pick up on it. 
you know, so... And the thing is, like, I feel like I would have picked up on it because all the sound effects were so overblown throughout this entire movie. It would be hard to miss. And not only that, but, like, the score by um, Bill Justice is one of the worst scores, like, ever. It's so obnoxious. I didn't even notice the score. I actually quite, I mean, I actually quite liked the uh, the music. I, I mean, that was one of the things I did like about this movie is the, uh, what was his name? Mel... Uh... Mel, Mel Tillis. Mel Ellis. Mel Ellis. You know, who's kind of a, a journeyman country singer, had some had some hits. Yeah. But, uh, you know, it wrote a different theme song with words for each of the main characters in the film uh, that got sung whenever they were on the screen. I actually, right. I actually quite liked that part of I it. I didn't mind that, but the actual score itself is really, really, like, just it's trying to be wacky, but it's more obnoxious. <laughs> There were a lot of slide whistles. There were slide whistles. This this was an exciting time for the slide whistle of the 70s. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was thinking, you know, Tony, I think what we'll do is we'll kind of give our final thoughts on the movie. And then we should just decide where it ranks in the pantheon of Western comedies. So why don't we start, though, with, um, you know, how many points out of seven, as in the seven shots in Arnold Schwarzenegger's homemade uh, handgun, do you think this movie earns, and would you recommend it to Arnold Schwarzenegger aficionados? Well, I'd rec- I'd recommend, of course, any movie with uh, Arnold in it to Arnold Schwarzenegger aficionados. I, st- I stand by my original statement that uh, any movie with Arnold in it is better than most movies ever made. Right. Uh, is, this, is that the case with this movie? <laughs> if I'm being truthful with myself, <laughs> no. But... I learned something from this film. And that is? I learned... I didn't learn anything from this film either. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I learned something from this film, which was really how far Arnold Arnold Schwarzenegger has come Yeah. as an actor. Yeah. Uh, I think people are always a little unnecessarily hard on Arnold's acting. I think what he does, what he does pretty well, actually. And I think he's only gotten better. Like, mm-hmm. we talked about Maggie a few episodes ago, and I mean, the movie we weren't that big on. We didn't love it, but um, he's he's giving a good performance in the movie. Mm-hmm. Like, I think Arnold's gotten better at subtlety over time. Mm-hmm. There's no subtlety in this performance. But he also has got, like, really, very quickly after this movie, basically, you know, next couple roles, really hammers down sort of the Arnold Schwarzenegger charisma. Like, we, we talked about uh, Conan the Barbarian in our I think second episode, mm-hmm. and that's only three years after this movie. The leap even to that one, they still aren't quite putting the entire movie on him. There's really strong supporting characters kind of doing the speaking for him a lot of the time in that movie, but he has sort of the magnetism and the charisma in that movie three years later. Yeah, I mean, mind you, I mean, Conan the Barbarian was uh, a way better movie and a way more entertaining movie. Yeah. And even... With a better director. With, with a better director, too. And, uh, I mean, better everything. Better script, better yeah. budget. And... Maybe not better co-stars. I mean, Anne-Margaret and uh, Kirk Douglas are pretty pretty uh, prominent. That's true. That's true. I mean, yeah. imagine uh, imagine if you could marry the two. If you could have had, um, you know, Conan the Barbarian uh, starring Anne-Margaret as Valeria. Oh, and... <laughs> get out of my head. 
<laughs> and uh you know kirk douglas actually i guess i was gonna say kirk douglas as uh tulsa doom as tulsa doom but james earl jones yeah uh, no no yeah it's hard to imagine somebody else i'll keep the Anne margaret part okay yeah all right but yeah no i mean it's definitely it ranks near the bottom if not at the bottom yeah. of schwarzenegger films but if you're a fan of schwarzenegger and you you know you like the progress that he's made i mean that's and that's kind of what we're doing on this podcast as well going back and forth between his newer and his later ones mm-hmm. um you know if, if you're into doing that then then it's definitely good to watch uh it, i wouldn't recommend buying the special features blu-ray and putting it on your shelf i don't think this movie's on blu-ray i mean we saw it on like a <laughs> pan and scan dvd transfer i like how you're still sticking with the dvds and yeah yeah it's an Arnold Schwarzenegger podcast. We got to be retro a little bit. Oh, I wanted to bring in the VHS, and you wouldn't right. let me. <laughs> well, my VCR doesn't really work. I've got a VCR. Okay. Well, I, I might need to borrow one then. <laughs> but my take is like I think the villain is pretty awful. Um, I think it's kind of embarrassing, like when measured against I think even the comedies of the time. Uh, I can see why it was kind of buried and why it's not one that's brought up very much. Even as much as Hercules goes bananas. Um, but it is an interesting curiosity. I, I would say it's a terrible movie, but I think it would be fun to watch. Maybe if you have a group of friends together who could just laugh at the badness of it. But I, I don't think otherwise it's something that has held up at all. And I seriously de- doubt even held up in 1979. Yeah, although I will say this, which is um, the format of the movie doesn't really work as a movie. I thought... Yeah. A big reason why it's it w- too long for what it wants to be. Well, exactly. I, I thought a big a big reason why I didn't think it was very good at all was because it was an hour and a half. And just imagine even watching an hour and a half of Wiley e. Coyote shorts or yeah. Yosemite Sam Looney Tunes shorts, which, like Space Jam. Yeah, which I mean, I really I really enjoy those cartoons. Yeah. Uh, you know, if I if I flip the TV on yeah. and there's Ten minutes of those? Yeah, I mean, like, Chuck Jones and Tex Avery were geniuses in those cartoons. Yeah, you, and you get a good chuckle. And and I, I kind of wonder if um, if this movie was broken up <clears throat> as shorts, you know, if yeah. if when we were if when we were kids, uh, you know, during a commercial break, every once in a while, they'd show Kirk it, Douglas getting <laughs> run over by a train. Yeah, Kirk Douglas <laughs> trying to take the money from. And Margaret and Arnold Schwarzenegger. Yeah. If we'd fe- if we'd feel the same way, um, if it was broken and up episodically, I think part of the problem is it's just those those cartoons are like just perfectly edited and choreographed. This movie is not like it, it's like Hal Needham. You know, say what you will about his filmography, and I know like Smokey and the Bandit has a lot of fans. I think it's actually an entertaining movie, but he has sort of a very relaxed, almost kind of like very casual way of shooting his movies. And that does not suit Looney Tunes at all. No, when you're relying on tight comic timing. And energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like the villain has none of those things. So I think that's ultimately the problem. And I, I kind of give it one shot out of seven for Arnold's uh, custom-made gun. Yeah, I mean, I mean I'll mean, i say I, it's, it's a really bad movie. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say it's one of the worst movies of all time. It's just... No. It's... It's just so it's really boring, really mediocre, yeah, and um, not particular. It's not offensively bad. Well, it's, it's just 
It's just really bad. Yeah. So uh, here's a little game. I'm gonna, I'm gonna pitch some Western comedy titles, and you tell me oh. if the villain is better or worse. Oh, you're gonna this pantheon of Western comedies. Yes. You're telling me about. Okay, so we've established it's no Blazing Saddles right out of the gate. So let's p- put Blazing Saddles aside because it's just doesn't doesn't even deserve to be mentioned in the same breath as the villain. So mm-hmm. let's go to. I'm just gonna. I'm not gonna do them in chronological order. Um. So Lightning Jack. Starring Paul Hogan. <laughs> and Cuba Gooding Jr. Yes. Well, I really liked Lightning Check. Okay. Now, do I get to do one? Sure. Wagons East, starring John Candy. I f- never saw Wagons East. It got terrible reviews, I remember. And uh, that was kind of why I didn't see it. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, I'm going to go with Shanghai Noon. Shanghai Noon? That was a good movie. I really enjoyed that. Jackie Me Chan, too. Owen Wilson. Yeah. Um... So we still haven't found one worse than... Maybe maybe Wagons East. I don't know. Have you seen Wagons East? I've seen Wagons East. Is know? it better or worse than the villain? It's better. Okay, so we still haven't found anything worse than the oh, villain. I, don't, I, I, mean, I don't think we're going to. I mean, how many uh, Western comedies are there? I mean, Well, I'm there's having... uh, Samurai Cowboy. Samurai Cowboy, that's right. Which I think might be worse. I think, like, I saw it as a kid and I thought it was okay, but I feel like if I were to watch it now, I would think it was worse. I would have to watch it again. I think I watched it on the the movie channel. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, and thought, yeah. I thought it was really good because there is a, a, a Japanese cowboy and, you know, the fish out of water. Right. Um, but you're probably right. There's probably a reason why Samurai Cowboy never makes the best 5,000 movies of all time list. Right. And I mean, Back to the Future 3, that's far better. Yeah. Any movie with ZZ Top is okay in my book. Right. And I've never seen McClintock with John Wayne, but I have to believe it's probably better because John Wayne is, I think, a more engaging screen presence in this type of movie. I think, uh, I actually think Robert Tessier was in McClintock. Really? I think Interesting. so. Interesting. Hmm. That's what I need to watch. Um, or Strother Martin. Or maybe both. They both did a lot yeah. of work with John Wayne, I think. For sure. Yeah. So... Since I'm running out of uh, Western comedies, right? We're not going to find a movie, a Western comedy that's that's worse than this one. No, I don't think so. I don't think so. So I think we'll wrap it up on uh, the villain, which I'm sure you people wish we'd done 52 minutes ago. But <laughs> but uh, we're going to say that you know if you enjoyed listening to the show, let us know. Send us a email to arniegeddonpod at gmail dot com. You can also reach us on Twitter at ArnieGeddonPod. You can also reach us on our website, ArnieGeddon.com. And uh, as for me, you can find me at uh, CamVSmith.com or on my Star Trek podcast, SubspacePod.com. Yeah, and you can find me, Tony G. Just email me, TonyG at ArnieGeddon.com. So, we'll be back with The Terminator. (laughs) 